Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. We're really and truly going to try to get through this lesson this morning. For set up the context, Ephesians chapter 6, speaking of the armor of God, and I'm going to paraphrase the first half, we want to put on this armor of God that we might withstand the various schemes of this of the devil and he's and as paul starts listing these things we start in verse uh, 14 where it says stand firm therefore having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness we're going to stop there for for now truth and righteousness man they just they go together they really go together so remember that belt of truth is where is like the part of the armor that kind of keeps everything together. It uh, it holds the breastplate from, the breastplate from bouncing around. You can cinch it down on there. You you can hang your sword on the belt. And again, everything hangs on truth. Now, when we look at righteousness, again, we've been spending actually the last couple of weeks talking about imputed righteousness. And um, imputed righteousness, or we could call that positional righteousness is an act of God assigning to believers the righteousness of Christ. And, you, know, you know, it may be hard to believe, but as we stand right now, as God looks at us, we stand in sinless perfection. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Because we look in the mirror and we don't walk in sinless perfection. And that's where putting on the breastplate of righteousness comes in. We need to live up to our position in Christ. And that's the whole thing about putting on that breath. <clears throat> if we are living in a state of righteousness as we move through this life, guess what we won't be doing a lot of? Sinning. <laughs> okay? So, moving right through. Now, <clears throat> one thing, too, it, there's a reason for this. And I'm gonna, where we left off is right on page one, the... Uh, the note that says the sins of believers were imputed to Christ. Okay. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's a great, great passage. One of those that, uh, quite frankly, be a good one to commit to memory, I think. 5.21 says, Speaking of the Father and the Son, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. That's a ex- very common phrase of Paul. He uses, speaking of a Christ, he uses in him or in Christ, in Jesus Christ. You know, and that's very common. That, and that, dis- that really describes our position as we relate to the one true living God. We are in Christ. In Christ. It's amazing. Isaiah 53, let's look at that one too, about the, the uh, this imputation. Again, one of those passages that, it's just one of those landmark passages that we all just need to be familiar with. You just know it's there. Especially if you know, you're talking to people... Um, well, like if you ever get an opportunity to witness to a Jewish person, this would be a, this would be where I would start. Be right here in Isaiah fifty-three. 
I'll pick it up in verse 5. Speaking of uh, Christ, Isaiah, some 700 years prior to this event. Uh, But he was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Okay, and here the direct contextual reference isn't to physical healing, it's to spiritual healing. Okay, in the ultimate sense, the physical healing will be there. And verse 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned his own way. But here's this one, but the Lord, that's but Yahweh, has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. See that? He who knew no sin became sin. Our sin fell on him. Again, speaking of of the Messiah. And, you know, we can stop. We've been through this one before, but uh, we skip forward here to say verse 11. But as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. Remember, justify. That term that's a term that speaks of, it's a judicial term, meaning by being justified uh, in God's court, we were declared not guilty. And why were we declared not guilty? Because Christ took the penalty on our behalf. He took it for us. That's why when you call his death, it's, it's a substitutionary death. He took our place. <clears throat> Therefore, verse 12, I will allot him a portion with the great and will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. You can see that quoted in Luke twenty-two thirty-seven. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressor. He took the sin of the many. Now, the imputed righteousness, again, is directly tied to our justification. In other words, that's God's divine verdict of not guilty. Romans 3. Romans 3.20. And I will, again, try to move through this a little bit quicker. Again, if you have questions or comments, uh, we will deal with them. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's better than it sounded. I mean, <laughs> we will we will talk about it. I'll try to answer questions. But remember, when you ask questions, you know we're not playing stump the teacher. Okay. <laughs> Romans, Romans three twenty. <clears throat> because by the word again, speaking of the law, that the law. One of the problems of the first century, again, was the Judaizers came in and said, you must keep the law to be saved. Um, here, it's not so much that perspective, but there are many, many out there that preach salvation by works. Okay, so in, in, in essence, the same problem exists. It's just from a little bit different perspective. By the works of the law, or any other human endeavor, by that matter, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know, the, the law was our schoolmaster. The law taught us what sin was. But, verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested by, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being, and here's the key here, being justified as a gift by his grace. See those two words? It's almost like a double emphasis. What is grace? Unmerited, unearned favor, right? An unearned thing is a gift. So again, this is a, this is a point of emphasis here. You know, being justified, our justification as a gift. So it's again not anything to do with any kind of work. See, if you work and get something for work, that's a wage, right? No, this is a gift. This is we're justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through through faith. This this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of of the one who has faith in Jesus. Remember it's by faith we're saved. Through by grace through faith, justified by faith. I mean, that's such a huge theme through those early chapters of Romans, Romans 3, 4, you know. Um, it's just all over. And um, we can uh, move on. Um, Romans 5, 1 and 2 says essentially the same thing. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Exult meaning we rejoice. Okay, could even be translated boast, even though we have no, but we boast in him, not ourselves. I see... Say that again. I missed something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Christ is, is his death is 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 referred to as a substitutionary death because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all stand guilty before God. And it goes back to that term there in Romans uh, three twenty five. Christ was a propitiation, and propitiation is one of those terms that means that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins that are, it was a payment that fulfilled the requirements of a just and righteous God as the ultimate judge. And therefore, by Christ dying on our behalf, in place of us, therefore we can stand and we can be declared by God not guilty because he took the payment for us. That's what he was our substitute. See, if we 
were to, uh, that, well, one of, the, one of the reasons hell's eternal is a sinful person could never be an appropriate atonement for sin. Christ had, the, stop and think about it, Christ, God himself, is the only appropriate sacrifice because he's the only one without sin. Christ was that <coughs> lamb without spot or wrinkle. Okay, see that? See the, the point there? Did that answer the question? Yes. Jesus, Jesus, the substitute. No, no. Because it's like it's it's like the it's like the hymn says, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. That's it. <laughs> you, should, you might get a complex. <laughs> Yes. And it wasn't human beings, it was animals. So it wasn't so much like that, you know, he would pay the price for me by getting killed. But, you know, you bring, an, you bring a lamb, generally, like to the um, like to the mercy seat or something. Mm-hmm. You bring a lamb there, and that's why they call Christ the Lamb of God. Exactly, exactly. So maybe that was the... Yeah, and, and every lamb or bull or anything, every animal that was ever killed and offered was a picture of the one true lamb of god that was to come and remember in the old testament too those those um those animals all those sacrifices all that blood that was spilled wonder how many sins they actually took care of zero (laughs) yeah yeah see in the old testament the atonement is a covering they covered it but they didn't wash it away the blood of Christ washed it away see those are all pictures of the one true sacrifice that was him that's why any sacrifice now would be totally inappropriate it would have no meaning He did it. I mean, when, when he did it, and when he does something, it's done. <laughs> Once for all. Absolutely. I know, and that's exactly right. When we see him coming, we don't lock the door. We leave it open. <laughs> Just come on in. <laughs> come on. One of my favorite characteristics of Gary's personality. No. No, I... Questions and appropriate comments are good. No, I'm ser- seriously for the class. That's one of the things. This is, uh, this is not a, 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 you know, your first sermon of the day. This is a, a Bible study, and if there's questions or things that Someone thinks needs to be cleared up a little bit more. Fire away. I have a comment. Uh oh. It's really easy. I love in Romans five one where it says, "By all of this you're talking about, we have peace with God," and that's a wonderful thing. 
Well, you know, and, and that piece is actually even more than what it might seem. That's not peace like the peace that passes understanding, although that's because of it. That's peace with God as in we're no longer at war with God. We are no longer, in the context of Romans, we are no longer at war with God. We are no longer the enemies of God. Because, again, you know, there's that two types of folks. You're either with God or you're against him. You know, the old saints and the ain'ts. You know, there's two camps. There's no middle ground. There's one or the other. Yeah. Using the same scenario where Kevin is murder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, wouldn't he still have, he still has to answer to God, even though he wasn't accused of murdering, he would still have to answer to God and face. If the, uh, you're talking about a saved person? Okay, then we're talking about a saved person. No, he would not. If Christ paid the price for sin, it's done. done. Price paid. But he, his own self, if he's a believer, he will have consequences. Oh, you're talking in the the the, uh, court system of the world, the world's court system. Well, not necessarily. I mean, say eventually nobody knows that Ken is the one that killed, but not Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Got a brutal family back there. Okay. And so he will have the consequences of extreme guilt, most likely. Um, you would hope if he's a believer, uh, and then, and, and and that won't, Holy Spirit won't let him get away with it. Okay. As far as okay, personal human sinfulness before God, sin's taken care of. Before man, it's another issue. There is a matter of sowing and reaping. Okay. And so with that's that's also a it's it's it's. It's a biblical law and it's a human law. Sowing and reaping. You know, you, you one will reap what they sow. So any sin committed here that has, uh, that harms another, that has, that, still the laws of the, that doesn't change the law of the land. You know, uh, walking into court one day uh, for what, it, just pick your favorite, you know, you know we'll, we'll back away from murder. Say bank robbery. Okay. You, you go into the, you, you're arrested for robbery. Uh, yeah, that sin before God can be forgiven, but before human law, that has to be taken care of. That the, that does not wipe out human justice. Okay, that still carries on, and, and it must carry on, or otherwise you've got anarchy. Like, can you imagine that in court? My jo- well, well, the Lord forgave me. <laughs> right, pal. <laughs> Absolutely.
Right. That's right. Absolutely. Everybody catch that? Yet by continuing to walk in um, faith through those consequences, those events that are in, integrated into that situation, we're increasing our faith. Yeah. Like I said, see, the, sin has all so many ramifications, so many things that it just the dominoes just start falling, <laughs> and you gotta go back and start picking them up. <laughs> you know, and like I say, uh, on the personal level, the judicial level depends on the sin, quite frankly. Okay, how far that can go? Practical righteousness. That's the one that's uh, the breastplate of righteousness. That's the one the breast what the breastplate of righteousness is focusing focusing on. The practical righteousness is directly tied to our sanctification and um, increases as we grow in Christ. If we're truly believers, we should see an increase in our righteous behavior. You go back to day one, that day of conversion, and you, if you move the, the, the graph forward, yes, we're going to have our ups and downs, but from the starting point, you should see an increase in your personal righteousness if it's flatline and goes nowhere that should tell you something too it's like when Paul said to the Corinthians you know maybe you should examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith okay because there's going to be an improvement it's just I mean the scripture says you are a new creature a new creation you are you're not going to be you are therefore the evidence of that you are <laughs> is going to show itself. Okay. Did... Well, I just was thinking of the word the desire to to grow personally. Exactly. Yeah. He does. He does. I mean, we're right back, really, to Ephesians four one, where it says, and it's where this whole discussion started. Therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Period. And part of that calling is, you know, we um, <clears throat> we stand, you know, we have we stand here with imputed righteousness. That's part of our calling. That's what we, that's one of those things we need to live up to. You know, we live, live up to our calling. It's it's all part of it. It's all part of the package. And. And you, you, you read through the, the, the armor of God, it's nothing that the rest of the scripture does not talk about, does not teach. It's there, you know. Uh, but the difference is, it's not a works righteousness. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's righteous works that come out of who we now are. The, yes, yeah. The proof's in the pudding, the works of the pudding. <laughs> and that's the new creation. Absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, if, if, and, if, and if one is not doing it, that's proof that they're still part of the old creation. They're not, they're not a new creature in Christ. See? So, and all these, these it's the, and Scripture's so consistent on that. So consistent. Okay. Ephesians 5, 8, 9. I'll, I'll just moving ahead here real quick. 5, 8, 9 says, For you were formerly, I, I just love this passage, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. <laughs> See, we need to get that in our heads. We are light. You know, uh, we are light in the Lord. And then once he say, walk as children of the light, right? For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and in truth. And then verse, I'm going to go on to verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 9 is one of those, uh, you might see a parenthesis there. The parenthesis is adding some information to it, but... If you read it without that parenthesis, it would say, For you were formerly dark, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the statement. And he adds uh, some extra information, like, For the fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. So he's adding, this is what light looks like. <laughs> okay? But, but as believers, being the light, you know, a whole part of the, tra- the, the sanctification process is learning what, in fact, is pleasing to God. What is it exactly he wants us to do? What is it he wants us to be like? Anyone want to take a guess where we find that? <laughs> yeah, in the scriptures. You know, that's why it's so important to be in the word. Now, which brings us to our next section, the connection between truth and righteousness. Well, the obvious connection, it starts, it starts with the gospel. It starts with the gospel, right there. Um, Psalm 119, 1 through 9, uh, we, don't, we won't turn there, but that's that tremendously long psalm that just literally sings the praises of the word of God and being in the word of God and spending time in the word of God. Um, let's look at 1 Timothy Look at the First Timothy passages. Matter of fact, you want a great twenty, depending on how fast you are, say twenty twenty-five minute devotional. Read Psalm one nineteen. <laughs> it, it, it's a big one, but uh, it's it, it's worth really sitting down and reading the whole thing. It, it, it really is. It, it has so much more meaning. You do that. First Timothy six eleven. Again, Paul writing Timothy here, you know, Timothy's out there. Matter of fact, when he's receiving this letter, he's in Ephesus at the time, trying to, he's straightening up matters there. Ephesus is, we, we saw this early on, but Ephesus is having some issues. We'll just leave it at that. And so he says, and but concerning you, Timothy, as ministering there, here's what you need to do. But flee from these things. He's talking, he just came off Paul writing about various sins and problems that are going on. And now to Timothy he says, but flee from these things, you man of God. Oh, that, wouldn't you like the Paul to call you the man of God, men, or women of God, women? <laughs> you know, um, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Move forward to 2 Timothy 2.22. Paul is writing 
with a very similar encouragement in this letter, except we, we know, historically speaking, this was the very last letter Paul wrote. Matter of fact, Paul was sitting on death row when he wrote this. He was about ready to uh, be executed, and he knew it. Anyway, so 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the name of the, for the pure heart. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Didn't he just say that? Look, chapter 3, it's verse 4. No. 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 Matter of fact, it, lust can be in your heart, and there's no age limit on that. <laughs> Three, 314 through 17. Again, as he's moving toward the end of this, he says, You, however, and again, he's talking about evil men, deceivers, and so forth. You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathes, they honor us, the breath of God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And for to what purpose? That the man of God may be adequate, which means complete would be a better term, I think. Equipped for every good work. And if we're, if we're doing those every good works, we are living up to our righteous calling. Father's Day to everyone. For us that are born again, every day is our Holy Father's Day. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you all remember this when we were back there, but back to Ephesians 5.18. A lot of what Paul says, starting in in chapter 4.1, where he says, do this, this is what we need to do, don't do this, do this. 518, I'm going to read that. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If you remember that lesson, you compare that with Colossians 3.16, which in context is teaching the exact same truth, where it says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and you will, you will produce the same good things. And then if you look at Galatians 5, it says, um, Walk in the spirit and you will not commit the lusts of the flesh and it goes on to list what they are and it goes on to describe what walking in the spirit looks like and which says all kinds of good stuff obviously so but being filled with the spirit letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly being filled with the spirit is not indwelt with the spirit it is not baptized in the spirit we probably end up doing that lesson again because it's 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 an area of so much confusion these days. But um, that means as as we live in the Word and and the Holy Spirit, by living righteously, by being in the Word and thinking on the Word, meditating the Word, reading the Word, the Spirit of God moves through the Word and, and 
pushes us in the right direction, <laughs> so to speak. And apart from that, this whole thing could be called nothing but legalism. You can just say, well, and there's churches like that. They have a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. And if you can check off the boxes, you're declared spiritual by that particular church. That's not how it works. Okay? True righteousness, is, again, is, is walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, letting the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. That's part of the walk. That's part of, that's the, that is the walk. That's it. And then the standards for righteousness, the holiness of God. And in Leviticus, it's talking about all three of those passages in Leviticus say, we, hey Israel, you need, to be, you need to be holy like your God is holy. That's a paraphrase of it. And then in Matthew 5.48, what did Jesus say the standard was? That's in part of the Sermon on the Mount. 548 says, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfection is the standard. Perfection is the standard. And the, the context there going, well, wait a minute. How can I be perfect? The answer is you can't. We can't. But God is. And God can make it happen and will. And then our response, Matthew 5, what should be is in Matthew 5, Um, 6 to 10, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is. Walk in the walk, talk in the talk. Again, Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And I'd like to end with Romans 6.11. A little bit late, but not too much. I don't see him peeking through the windows, so it's not bad. When they look through the windows and make faces, then you know you've gone too long. Okay, 6.11 through 13, Romans. Even so... Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, because that's exactly where we are, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So again... It's consi- the, the scriptures are consistent. Live up to the calling to which we've been called. Not that I want to end on something that will leave everybody's minds spinning over the next week, but um, <laughs> the great societal battle right now is we just went through Pride Month. <laughs> We're still in it.
I know. Yeah, and it's even yeah. That, that's the part that gets me is a so-called church. Can you, the fact that some churches are debating it, to me, speaks of extreme weakness in that church. To even that it, it's, it's a debatable issue is weakness in that church. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, well, you know, do we need to do a series on it? Folks? To, to me, it would be helpful. It would be really, really, really beneficial. Mike? Yeah, because it can just really mess up your mind mm-hmm. and really draw you away. And I think that's what's happening in our culture. Instead of the church influencing the world, it's the world. Because Scripture is perfectly clear on this issue, both Old and New Testament. I know. That's. And it's. Um, I, I mean, I have not lived that, so I can't. I can't relate to it. In and thankfully, I haven't been con- faced with it either. But yeah. Okay. No. Well. I, I, I tell my kids, um, you don't have to use those pronouns with me. I don't say harshly. I'm not going to call you that. Um, and when I pray for my kids, I pray for them by their oh. own names, and mm-hmm. that's how I deal with it when I'm speaking directly to my kids. I say, you don't have to use that with me. It's, it's like there's two, I, I mentioned it's like that means like there's two of, two of, two in there. You're, you're not yeah. two in there, you're you, but I try not to be real harsh, and I just try to... Again, it's... it's, it's you know, speak the truth in love. You know, um, and as a parent, yeah, I know. Yeah, 
you can be loving and firm, I believe, at the same time. It would be totally unloving to encourage anybody to go deeper and deeper into sin. Where's the love there? Sometimes the what is pushed, presented as being nice may actually be a result of weakness rather than anything else. Not a, not a, not a, it's not coming from love for the child. It's coming from personal weakness, not wanting to deal with something that's really tough. So on that nice note, oh, one more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, then I guess we'll next. What do you think, Mike? We go over it. Let's, uh, I guess next week we're going to kind of back up a tiny bit and welcome to the belt of truth one more time <laughs> we're going to go for it again well, I might suggest I, you don't just do it here why don't, why don't you give it a little thought a little time, a little research to, you know, to maybe look at other other pastors, other churches how they've dealt with this in a truthful biblical fashion because I think it might be too quick to just try and do it here I think it's something like maybe hey this is, believe it or not, this is one of those things I've been looking at for a couple of years. This is this is not new. It's just it's blown up all of a sudden with this uh, <clears throat> latest uh, administration. Um, it's kind of come to a head right now. So we'll do. I think they're coming with a hook. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. And Lord, as we, especially parents, grandparents, deal with these things, we just pray, Lord, that you would keep our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren free from these. But if not, Lord, give us the wisdom and understanding to deal with them in your way and in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.